Welcome back to Nashville CA, your double feature, double weekly podcast, except sometimes it's like a double monthly podcast, I don't know, it's just that kind of thing. Uh, we talk about double features, and Josh lives in Nashville and I live in California, and that's about the gist of this intro, if I remember correctly. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. It is uh, sweltering summer here in Nashville, and... We're all just uh, hopping from the shower to outdoors where it feels like you're still showering. I was just about to complain that this has been too cool of a spring for us. I The sun didn't come out between Sunday afternoon until yesterday afternoon. We just had cold oh. June gloom weather. I didn't... I didn't know that June gloom was a saying or a thing until I saw somebody doing a June gloom challenge, like movie challenge. Oh, we love June Gloom in California. That is where you uh, reside. That is. It's where half the show lives. <laughs> At least the half, half the time. half of the show lives in a German U-boat and on the moon. Because today we put our moon boots on. We're going to be talking about uh, Das Boot from some year and moon from... I don't know, 2013, maybe. <laughs> uh, Dust Boot is 81. Thank you. And I'm going to say Moon is, is it 2010? I don't know. There's no way to find out. No, it's, it's that, that information is lost to time. And, and I didn't know Dust Boot came out in 81 because I wasn't born until 86. So that's just not possible for me to know that. No, it, actually, I'm surprised that you could even repeat the information. I... Kind of regret watching this movie because it does break my manifesto of only watching, listening to, or learning about things that happened beyond August 25th, 1986. <laughs> but anyway, Josh, uh, I chose Das Boot just because it's a movie that I have always meant to see. It's one that's like, it's always on those film buff lists. It's a movie I heard about so many times. I haven't dipped my toes into a lot of German cinema. So that's another reason that I, I wanted to check this one out. Um, and we watched, just for viewers to know, we watched the uh, three and a half hour cut, which I think is the, I think that's the director's cut. I don't know. There's a few cuts of this floating around. Is uh, three and a half hours, is that 208 minutes? Is that what that equates yeah. to? Yes, that would be the director's cut from 97. There is... Or there are two longer cuts. I didn't feel we needed to subject ourselves to the what six-hour TV miniseries. Yes, I, I do like the length of this movie is really important for it. Mm -hmm. But I think we got enough of it with three and a half hours. I don't know if if there's more incident in the longer version, or if there's more of the tense waiting around in the longer version. I don't know, but I think any more of this movie would have annoyed me. It, it clocked in and clocked out just when I felt like it should have, though. Um, what other submarine movies are you into? Because I think I love submarine movies, thinking about it. Because it's like, I love... Um, well, I think I love U571. I loved it when I was like 14. Mm -hmm. um, I love Hunt for Red October. Yep. I love... Ooh, what's the Denzel one? Uh, Crimson and Tide. Hackman. Yeah, Crimson Tide. Love yes. that movie. I, 
love down periscope no, <laughs> no, no I don't. nobody loves down periscope that's ridiculous that's a bridge too far no that's a war movie that's not sorry it's okay <laughs> oh boy but what do you what do you think of these movies um i think i love any kind of uh bottle like bottle episodes of television um bottle movies both of these like fall into that category you're you're trapped in a limited space i mean alien is kind of a submarine movie i love the abyss the the rig is oh is large. yeah the abyss yeah Fuck. the abyss is to yeah it's totally a submarine movie as is alien that's a good point yeah there's something about master or master and commander where it's that idea of People in a vessel of some sort and the outside world, their surroundings, will kill them in a heartbeat if they don't work together. Mm-hmm. I, and that just that's such a great setup for tension and for characters to step up or to drop the ball and make mistakes. And there's so much like character dynamic that can come out of that. It's like everything is heightened. I mean, that's why even in horror yeah. movies, you send you send them out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, or you isolate them somehow, because then you can really get those big, big emotional swings from somebody, and they make sense, as opposed to like someone just going through their everyday life, you know. Uh, who di- who directed this? Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson. Don't know if I know any of his other stuff. Oh, good old Wolfgang. Uh, you do you know a couple things? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Whoa, whoa! This uh-huh. Wolfgang Peterson is kind of my guy. <laughs> so I I I watched Troy after reading um, Song of Achilles. Mm, okay. Listen, have the balls to make Achilles gay, okay, Troy? Have the balls to have gay Brad Pitt on screen. The fact that they made Patroclus like his cousin. Instead of his lover was lame. Wait, Patroclus erasure, and I'm not here for it. Is he not? I've I only saw that movie in bits and pieces uh, because I was projecting it at a movie theater at the time. So it's like you see it as you're kind of walking past. So Song of Achilles, yeah, no, it's like Patroclus grows up with him. They become lovers, end up at the Trojan War together, in the, and then in the movie, it's just they're just cousins. That, that's lame. I don't like that. <laughs> um, ooh, never-ending story. I haven't seen that in like 30 years. It's... Air Force One, get off my plane. Yeah. <laughs> Outbreak, that was, I watched that one a lot. Perfect Storm, watched that a lot. In the Line of Fire, that, I was just thinking about that movie. I think that's the first R-rated movie I ever saw in theater. Because I remember my friend's dad taking us to see it. What a boring movie for kids to see. <laughs> and, and I remember the dad going before, he's like, now kids, you're going to hear some language in this movie, and I don't want to hear it from you guys after. Uh, it's wild that after, like, Das Boot, he spends 25 years making movies in America. Like, it's he does two or three German films, 25 years of almost all bangers. Uh, 
his last one, Poseidon, um, I don't, I remember I watched it when I was moving one time. You ever put on a movie when you're moving, like when you're packing or unpacking stuff? Sure. Yeah. You just have it as background noise. Uh, so I have like fairly pleasant memories of moving into a new house and watching Poseidon. Um, but then he went back 10 years later and made a, uh, looks like a bank heist comedy film. Yeah. Really? Like a, a caper comedy. Oh, I don't like capers. They're too bitter. Oh, I like a good caper. Ooh, they're, uh, they're, they're briny. They're strong. That's a bold flavor. Are we talking about movies or food? Both. <laughs> uh, um, so, I, uh, to talk about this movie, I really want to... Let's just get the Nazi thing out of the way here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I was really... The movie doesn't bring up Nazi stuff very much, and there's very few swastikas or, like straight up Nazi imagery, I feel like, in the movie. And it does seem to be trying to portray itself more as a German movie. And then that but that contends like that conflicts with my ideas of like not every German soldier was necessarily like bought into the Nazi idea. Some people were just fucked and conscripted or completely lied to or you know, there's a there's a million different ways that somebody gets into an army, especially mm-hmm. in World War Two. So it's like watching these guys. It's like fuck these Nazis, but then at the same time dealing with the fact <laughs> that they're still like some of them are probably like good people who are just in like a really fucked up draft situation and stuff. I don't know. Can you That's, can you help me with this? Well, they sort of address it right at the beginning because they have the old salt uh, who's at the party who's basically like railing against Hitler uh, and how stupid the war is and how stupid Hitler is. Uh, lo- he says something like, the old guard is gone. These new guys have their cheeks together and balls in their hand and belief <laughs> in the Fuhrer. Soon they will understand. Yeah. He's like, oh, god damn, this guy. <laughs> this guy has seen, yeah, the, the lies and like the, the propaganda of war and seen the reality of it. Um, and I get the idea that, um, uh, I mean, Jurgen Prock now, the, um, I guess he's the, the commandant, uh, Der Alta, the old man, um, he's, he's anti Nazi. Like, he is cynical. Um, so I think that they play that a little bit. And I think if we were more clued into the individual, like, um, uh, policies and everything, we would get that, like the different boys on the, on the ship kind of stand for different parts of the ideals, which just get worn down. Like it doesn't matter by the end of this movie, what they stood for in the beginning, right? Like they're all beat to shit by the events of this film that they undergo. Things start to lose all meaning in context in this movie, whereas like they're in this tube for so long and we get so few shots of wide shots from the surface or like periscope shots that when we hear them launch the torpedo later in the movie and destroy a ship and they hear the ballast collapsing or the bulkheads collapsing on the ship, it doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And like, mm-hmm. 
the the death that that caused doesn't mean anything because it's just a noise in the dark void. And it's not until the U-boat surfaces and sees the burning ship and sees the men swimming away from it that, like, the true horror of their situation sets in of what they're doing out there. And it's not, it's not just this, like, weird existence in this black world. They're actually killing people. And I don't remember exactly where that comes in in the movie, but I think there's the... Um, the young officer who's like just been promoted to officer, I think who is like the super, he's a stickler. That was my first note about this guy. He's not partying with everybody else at the party. And he's like wearing his dress uniform all the time. Um, is that the guy who they throw a, uh, they throw a grease rag in his face. Yes. He's like the propaganda officer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like super offended by everything that they're doing. Uh, but eventually that, that- that grease rag to the face moment. Great. <laughs> it's, uh, eventually, though, even he gives in. Like, he stops wearing his dress uniform. Um, you remember, he, like, he grows a really patchy beard uh, after a while. A Not- lot of patch. There's a lot yeah. of patchy beards in this movie. <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, after one of those scenes, I'm guessing there's a lot of patchy pubes as well. <laughs> that- a shot where you just got like seven little butts lined up in front of a guy with a magnifying glass checking out everybody's junk for crabs. <laughs> oh, classic. Uh, at the set design of this movie, I, I do, I would like to see production stills or something from it to see how they built this thing. Just like there's like 150 different little red valves and knobs and everything, and just the idea of this tube existing just based on valves leaking air to and from different things. It's just, it's terrifying. I thought I wanted to be a submarine captain when I was a kid. Because mm-hmm. I pictured myself sitting at the front of the submarine, like, driving it, looking out the windshield. <laughs> and, like, seeing the bottom of the, the, uh-huh. the, the crystalline waters and seeing, like, coral reef and like fish swimming around and stuff and not not quite understanding that like oh no it's not that the intro shot to this movie is ominous and scary it's the one where it's just the very dark green water and the silhouette of the u-boat slowly starts to emerge through the shadows and through the void and it slowly just becomes whole and solid and like unstoppable Feels. It's uh I mean not only were several of my notes that men were not meant to live this way, um the I think at this point my my fear of the depths of the ocean are well documented and well mocked by several friends of mine. Um friend of the show, uh Michelle, frequently tries to send me uh beautiful pictures and beautiful memes of uh, underwater life. Uh, to try to ease my fears, <laughs> and it does not work. Every time well, I, I'm like, I, it, it hurts. I thought you were going to say she sends you gifts of like the existential dread of the void, which is what I used to send you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's uh, funny. They both make me feel the same thing. <laughs> uh, one toilet for fifty men. Not a great system. Uh, fifty men wearing wet wool underwater. 
not a great system. <laughs> These seem like bad ideas. Uh, um. So, so uh, let's go through like a few of the characters here. Okay. We, we got the captain already. We have um that one guy who's engaged to the French shopkeep, and she's pregnant, and so that that extra level of dread of it's really bad news that the resistance finds out that a Nazi impregnated her. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then we got um. Oh boy, I can't think. I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, Johan. Johan is the guy who, whose brain rightfully snaps during the scene with the, the depth charges. I mean, I, that's such a... He has like a moment of space madness, basically. Yes. And the, they, <laughs> he's, he's the mechanic? Or he's one of the I, mechanics? I think so, yeah. Because he loses it like when he needs to be fixing, <laughs> needs to be fixing the, the engines or the... Uh, Whatever, because they're trapped. Like, it's at the worst time, basically. Um, but it's relatable. Oh, I know. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not allowable, but it is relatable. Uh, but man, he was. They almost executed him. Yeah. For making noise, and that, and then um, I also always I have an affinity for sonar guys. I just love a good sonar guy who has like the earpads on and he's listening and he's like, I hear a propeller five kilometers east southeast. <laughs> I, I love that guy. I'm trying to think um, because I know it always comes down to I think U571 is the other one where they really play up the OK, we got to be quiet like big time. Yeah, that's that's like some key scenes of that movie are completely running silent as you hear the the boats going over the top of the surface. Yeah, that that gets to me just uh thinking about it. Like and and then and then the prisoner, U571 spoilers, and then the prisoner that they have taken. <laughs> the sonar guy's like, "Wait, I hear tapping." Da, 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 da. It says, "I am U571. Destroy me." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just got chills. I think I want to. <laughs> I really want to watch U five seven one. It also makes me think of that scene in Heat where they're uh, uh, the the thieves are taking down the they're, they're trying to get some minerals or something for their thermal lance type situation. I can never remember what they're doing in that scene. I, yeah. The cops are in the in the in, truck bed. Yes. Yeah. And the one like but leans I, I can against never the, remember the what edge. Macaulay and crew are doing at that place. Yeah. Um see who else? There's random sailors. All these guys get introduced and like it would be handy if they actually named them or gave their ranks halfway through the movie where you start to see their individual quirks. Uh because apart from a couple at the beginning, it's like they're a bunch of handsome young boys and Jurgen Prock now, like yeah. And I, um, I like Jurgen Prochnow's performance in this. I think he does a great job of being like he he's an old man of the sea with a bunch of boys on his ship, and he has to contend like with what you said of the. 
the falsehoods of Nazi Germany and the realities of what he knows is out there waiting for them, but the job that still has to be done. Or like near the end of this movie when he's given orders that are impossible and he has to contend with the fact that like this is his crew and yet he still has to follow orders even if they are suicidal from the if it's state given that's what has to happen uh maybe this whole thing worked out for the best uh with our little uh time jump here that we've had in the show uh because Jurgen Prock now and I share a birthday which is tomorrow of all days he he was born a good like 38 years before I was but still we do share a birthday interesting excuse me I'm just happened to be looking at my google calendar for no reason <laughs> uh, oh man I, I, <laughs> it's been so long since we did the show I couldn't remember your last name <laughs> Oh, oh, that's that's rough. <laughs> I was just looking at you. I was just like, huh, who is this guy? I don't remember. I don't remember. And that 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 repeats annually on June tenth. Uh, traditionally speaking, yes. And that's an all day affair. It's not like a nine a.m. to ten a.m. Oh, it, I mean, you can put all day. It's normally at least a week long that I make people suffer through mentioning my birthday. Three days on either side is at least the minimum. Okay. Well, I'm really glad you said something here today because uh, <laughs> you, you would <laughs> you wouldn't have heard from me tomorrow <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> oh. Uh, this movie also makes me very grateful for lemons, and they're they're eating so many lemons in uh, this movie. But not just lemons. Like, dudes are sucking down lemons, but the one guy is drinking it with condensed milk. Mixing. Mil- I was just talking with Virginia. We watched The Brood, and somehow milk and orange juice get mixed up in that movie. And she asked me, would I drink milk and orange juice? So this is two podcasts in two days <laughs> where I've talked about combining citrus and dairy. <laughs> Life is weird sometimes, and, man. Uh, and what is the consensus? What, what? How do you feel about it? The consistent. The consensus is the consistency would be chunky and gross. Also, I've never had condensed milk. It's like sweet. Yeah. Oh, it's very sweet. It's like um, it, it's almost like a when you make a caramel. It's like yeah. that consistency almost. It is. Intense. That's funny. Okay, because I just thank you for saying that. My next note is, what did that man drink out of that can that was so cloudy and milky that he mixed? <laughs> glad I could. <laughs> glad I could help. Um. So we got death charges coming up. I think the sound of the of the the radar pings. Mm-hmm. is just terrifying. It adds so much tension to be in this tube, hanging out, trying to be as quiet as possible, and hearing that. That noise scared me. Um, 
how many of the guys on the ship do you think can decipher or, de- or decode what that means? Like, obviously, the sonar guy is like, oh, you know, he's like, that's an 0800, uh, you know, off the starboard kind of a thing or whatever. Um, do you think the other guys know what's going on by those? Or it's just like pants shittingly terrifying that these sounds are happening at all? I think it's just terrifying because there's so it's you can't everyone can't isn't allowed to talk so there's no way to like pass that information along to the crew of like where things are happening and it's also that feeling of it's like existential dread of at any minute now they could have already dropped that depth charge that's sinking down here it could be on its way right now and it's the similar feeling of what what these boats experienced with these U-boats out there. Has that torpedo already been launched? Is there something that's more frightening to me about the idea of having to be underwater and th- that knowledge? Like, it, you know, this, it's the uh, Sword of Damocles, just always right there, because there's so many things that could go wrong, and you're just you'd get crushed like a like a soda can just and you are no more yeah at the start of this movie they say the boat the boat's rated to go down to like 90 meters so we can push it to go to 160 and i already i'm like what if it's rated for 90 (laughs) that sounds like the max to me but yeah as the depth charge scenes happen they start to go lower and lower and Seeing that um, that altimeter gauge dropping closer and closer to 200 meters mm-hmm. and then at the end of this movie, I can, I can like feel the pressure on my ears when they're at 250 meters below, stuck down there. I, I, I can like feel the weight of this movie pushing me in and like crushing me sitting there in my living room. That once again, I watched this with headphones on, with these my my studio cans on, um, and it was intense. Like the sound design and all the little creaks and pings and everything happening, it was just like I could feel it. Uh, but the cool thing uh, when the submarine is like underwater, when it's submerged, uh, is like it owns the ocean at that point. Like, you know, things might happen to kill you, but you're kind of like a shark down there swimming around uh, until you get spotted. When the submarine is up on top, it's just a really shitty boat at that point. Like, it's a boat that sucks. (laughs) And, uh, And the guys get beat to death. I loved everything when they're up on the, I don't know, is it like a parapet or something, what you would call it? Um, above the water and they're trying to look for the, the, any break in the storm through the one point of the, of the film. Uh, and they're just hurling like fire hoses of water at these men (laughs) as they're standing up there. But that's like the terror of going up there would Mm -hmm. be gnarly. But think about that. Like only six of them, can really go up there. I guess 
when there's like true downtime, we see the the crew, some of the crew members get to go out and walk around on the surface of the sub mm-hmm. at points in this movie. But it would just it would just be nice, even if it's terrifying to go out there during a storm. At least I get that feeling of being able to take a breath of fresh air that's not stinky 50-man recycled, recirculated fart air. Um, But when they go up there in the storm, the one dude just gets, like, blown off the, off the ship. He's just floating in the ocean, and they have to get him back. And that, to me, is the worst. I saw... Um, I don't know, a TikTok or an Instagram reel or a Facebook story, what have you, about this teenage kid that jumped off a cruise ship, like as a dare or a bet or something. Uh, and they just never heard from him again. And that's the thing. That's the thing right there that gets me is just like, no one ever sees you or hears from you. Uh, they don't even find your body. It's just gone. Just gone. You're insignificant. Which just, you know, it's it's really the horrors of, of existence brought to a sharp point for me. Now, I, the idea of being in water and watching the boat that you were on just keep sailing away. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not good, man. Nope, nope. Not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so they end up, you know, they, oh God, they eat tripe. Do they eat tripe at some point? There's some kind of hairy meat going on that's like mortifying. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I asked, what are they eating? It has hair on it. That's, uh. I think it's tripe. Yeah. Um, so they, they end up blowing up a tanker and when they surface, you know, it it's shocking seeing that red sky because we have. There has not been a, like, there's not been, like, a ton of color in this movie up until this point. And so suddenly when they surface and it's just the fireballs of orange and red illuminating the world, it's really shocking. And like I said before, seeing, seeing the results of violence and of war and, like, burning men jumping off the ship. And, um, oh, and the captain doesn't he thought the men would have been rescued by now. I thought that was kind of a convenient little thing of like, well, how about we make our crew not completely evil? So let's have them say like, oh, we thought they would have been rescued by now. We thought we would just be sinking an empty ship, but not the case. Uh, But everybody else, like despite the impracticality of the whole thing, like they wish they could take the, Take the prisoners. Take them as prisoners, I guess. Uh, which, once again, humanizes some Nazis. Uh, a little torn about that, but still. They're, they're not uh, wrong. Um, right. Is, when I think, and I think that's interesting. It's like, well, I, the Nazi party killed millions upon millions of people. But there is a lot of people, I feel like, who their hands were not directly involved with killing people. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to kind of absolve themselves of that sin. And so in this moment, when this boat comes up here and we see people burning alive and swimming 
and abandoning them to the ocean to drown now. The the reality of what you're participating in sinks in more and like the cruelty of it and the the evil nature of it is is more real and it's tangible and it's right there and you can see the suffering firsthand that even if you're like a mechanic working on the engines of this U-boat you still are responsible you you're part of this machine mm-hmm. that's caused this pain um on a lighter note what happens with all that water that falls down the ladder? What do they do? Pumps? Do they just pump it? It just seems I, like I, it seems like you're always damp. Yeah, maybe not not to the miserable extent of like a World War One trench. Mm-hmm. But this looks really bad and gross. Um. Oh, is this this where they go to the dinner party? They get. Uh, yeah, so they receive. Oh, it's cool to see the Enigma machine. Just cool little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think this is where they receive top secret uh, message for the captain's eyes only. And their new task is to head to Italy. And uh, and that angers the men because they'll have to go through the Strait of Gibraltar, which is super narrow and dangerous. And this is, yeah, so this is when, so they go to Spain to hang out with, like, on that boat with all of those other officers who are living this decadent, lavish lifestyle, feasting on, like, caviar and fancy cheeses and shit. And and the captain wants to leave, um, he wants to leave the chief and the propaganda officer in Spain because he knows he knows what the mission is going to result in, and he's trying to at least save some lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other officers uh, who've, I guess, been living this high life, uh, they like rub it. They don't mean to, but they're like, yeah, the war is going great. We hardly do anything. And we've got all these supplies from uh, these places that we ransacked. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, and and then they also ask them like, "Oh, tell us, tell us your glorious stories of war. Mm-hmm. Tell tell us about all the wonderful things that you've done out there." And to these men who are beaten and broken and mentally at their wits' end, and have just gone through all that we've seen, and are starting to realize there's no glory out there. And then to talk to these assholes, I liked that. Um, one of them tries to shake the hand of like the propaganda officer or something, because he just, he doesn't assume that the captain would look rugged and beat down like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the, is it the mechanic that I noted who looks like Alfie Allen? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think, I think that's Johan. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I watched a, a stop smoking DVD back in the day. It's made by the same book that I read, that Alan Carr, Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Mm-hmm. They had a little 45 minute, one hour video DVD thing also. And so I watched that, and there's like 15 year old Alfie Allen puffing away on his <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> 
Um, so uh, now they're going to take off and the plan, the captain's plan to, to get them through the Strait of Gibraltar into the Mediterranean Sea is to dive low and then go completely silent and just let the currents carry them down through the strait, which sounds like a good plan, but I think deep down he knows this is suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way, uh, and this is where I think that, um, I mean, it's it's a great ensemble cast, but the weight of everything really falls on Urine Brock now. Like, to portray kind of the, uh, what it means to be in charge of all these men. And like, he takes it seriously that all of their lives are in his hands. That's why he tries to save some of them. That's why he tries to disabuse them of the notion of like, uh, you know, glorious, valiant war, uh, for the, for the fatherland. Uh, it's no, it's just, you're out there trying to survive one foot in front of the other and do the best you can. And this is where, like, you see him being torn on his face. Uh, and, like, and we don't even have the luxury of watching this in our native language to to get the the um, intricacies of what he's doing. But it still comes across really, really strongly. I think any any books or movies, this, Master and Commander of the Terror, that are, like, in-depth examinations of leadership and what that entails and the hard decisions that have to be made uh it's one of like my favorite topics i think um okay how were you reading the master and commander books as well i've stopped i i read two of them okay um they were good they just started to they were doing a lot of stuff on land and like <laughs> courting women, Victorian women on land. And I was like, this is not, this is not why I'm reading these books. <laughs> Get back on sea, Jack. That's where I want you. Give me some, uh, some fraternal relationships out on the ocean. Well, just tell me like, oh, she has a crew of 162 men with 42 guns on board. And we only have 38 guns and 120 men, but our men are better trained. Just give me all that. I'll, <laughs> I'll read that all day. <laughs> um, so it's around this time that while they're up on, on the deck of the ship, that that airplane spots them, right? Mm-hmm. This is where the, navica- the, the navigator gets shot on the bridge. Yeah, like just as they're ready, they're like, okay, let's all go... Uh, back down to below decks and uh, we're going to dive any minute now, just any second. Now we're going to do that. Let's do that right now. And then it's like, it's so upsetting. That that was genuinely impressive. Holy work. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I loved that. That was much better than my radar pings. It's hard to do a radar ping. Yeah, I don't think the human uh, vocal tract is ready to do a radar ping. Maybe in a thousand years when we've evolved. Uh, boat gets stuck in dive mode now, and uh, they they hit the bottom, two hundred sixty meters down, taken on water. 
the battery cells are cracked, chlorine gas is leaking. Uh fuck. This is this is all all hope is lost moment here at this point of the movie. I can't so they're down there for 16 hours trapped and the uh the mechanic who's like just coming back from the brinks of uh insanity like really tries to prove himself by fixing those which it seems like you're just breathing poisonous air if you're in the engine room in the engine cabin with the batteries and everything yeah no it 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 cannot be it's got to be such a toxic environment yeah uh, and even when I don't trust gas masks and air circulation systems, especially in the 40s, to filter out stuff like that. No, not on a a submarine that seems to be um, held together by, uh, you know, bread ties and <laughs> chewing well, gum. Uh, they say at this point, it's like, we have we have plenty of torpedoes, but we don't have any extra wire. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they they have to look for wire on this ship, and I was like, the oversights sometimes <laughs> in these things. Well, uh, but yeah, Johan gets his redemption and gets all the leaks plugged, and they and oh, so your your ask you earlier about how do they get the water? Mm-hmm. They do a fire line of buckets to get it all to the bilge pump, and so that's they fire line it out, and basically. They have they have one shot to dump the ballast air back into the ship and get it floating again, and they're running out of oxygen. And the tension as they're trying to fire this thing, and like with the chief sitting there, I I was not sure if they were going to make it. Did you know that they were going to make it back? Because I thought this movie might be like. K nineteen, where it's like, this is this is gonna be a bad ending mm-hmm. on the bottom of the sea here. Um, only because I knew approximately how much time I had left in the movie. I was like, well, they okay. they don't just uh, die down here unless it's a really protracted uh, scene of that happening. But even what we get is horrifying. Like by the time they can blow the tanks, like all the men are lethargic. And, you know, barely moving because they're running out of oxygen and it's just got to be like a steam bath in there uh, and you can't breathe at all. Yeah. When they finally surface and they open that hatch and the the collective (gasps) of like all the men trying to just suck the oxygen from the world into the ship through their lungs. uh, It's such a relief moment. And uh, and then the engines fire up, and the chief, when the engines fire, oh, the chief looks so happy. <laughs> the happiest Nazi around. <laughs> um, and is this already Christmas Eve? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're getting really close to the very end of the movie. Here. Yeah. So I just got that they escape as... Um, 
the English boats or whatever allied boats must have just after 16 hours must have just taken off assuming that they had sunk. Um, God, it's so like, I can't imagine being on either side of that. Like if you're firing a torpedo into the side of a ship and you don't really know what's happening, uh, until you hear the sound or, Hey, we're just going to chuck these barrels over the side, uh, and consign these guys to the, to the briny depths. Like neither side of that seems great for like your mental health. No, which that's war though. War is the dumbest thing in the world. Nobody wins. It's just bad, evil pain. Um, did you see the new all quiet on the Western front? Uh, no, it is a great, great movie, uh, but it is harrowing like the this one and that one. If you really want to get depressed and write to a congressman about uh, stopping, you know, violence overseas that we may or may not be involved in. Uh, it's a great double feature for that. Thanks. I think we've talked before, but I. I liked war movies growing up and then I think I was about. 19 or so and watched um the the thin red line mm-hmm. and i feel oh. like that was the movie that kind of started to change my perspective on just like war in general and the idea of glory or serving a nation and and i don't know that movie is so powerful and there's there's that one scene in it where it it switches to a Japanese uh, Japanese guy's perspective, mm-hmm. and and he has this beautiful speech where it's just like you and me are the same. We have the same values. We have we have similar interests. We'd probably be friends if not for this war. Yet here you are killing me. Oof. It's bad. War is bad, yeah. man. I you think fuck Putin. We're um. Uh, coming out as strongly anti-war. What a courageous stance for us to take. <laughs> hey, man, that that's not a give and take anymore. You know, there's a that's, lot of people out there. That's true. Weird pro-war. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Yuck. Um. So yeah, this movie rounds out as you know, and they pull back into the docks and. Um, I don't. Is there a crowd applauding and cheering them on when they pull into the docks? I don't recall. Uh, like there was when they left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I feel like it's much more uh sedate when they come back. Somber. I don't remember. Watched this movie a long time ago. Uh, actually, I'm looking at it now, and it's uh. There is a little band playing, but it looks like there's no civilians or anybody else like cheering them on. Okay. Um. Yeah, and so we're just about to get our big happy ending, kind of, and then the air raid siren starts and the bombing starts and the machine gun strafing start from the airplanes and I. You know, the captain gets hit, and fittingly, 
like metaphorically kind of goes down with his ship as he watches his ship sink there at the dock. And like kind of the irony that this man was able to get the ship off the floor of the ocean, but it sinks here at the docks. Mm-hmm. Where it's, you know, where it should be safe and where they should be safe. And yet this is where many of them end up dying on land. Like the the humanist part of me hates this and feels for all these people, no matter what side they're on. Like, uh, you know, I, I wish that nobody died in these under these circumstances. Uh, but the art appreciator appreciator in me is like, what a perfect ending. What a beautiful note for this. Uh, the the mwah, chef's kiss of irony is so tasty. Yeah, I, d- I don't. Had this movie left me with like. George W. Bush mission accomplished banner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Big Nazi fanfare as these guys like get to return to land or whatever. I, that's not the ending I wanted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I hear you. This this is the ending that I feel the movie really needed, and I think it also the movie need needed to acknowledge the the fall of of Nazi Germany, and this is kind of one way for it to do that. I wonder. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, the movie was received very well. Uh, and has grown, I think, in people's estimation over the years. Um, but I wonder how it was received in Germany at the time. I wonder about that. But then it's tricky because sometimes, you know, like now we're starting to get, I mean, right off, the, pretty shortly after we invaded Iraq for the second time, we had shows like Generation Kill and over there on FX and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, I, I don't know, because this would be, this would have come out like 30, if this came out in the late 70s. Early or, 80s. Um, then, yeah, 81. So that's like 35 years after the war ended. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a, a lot of time for a country to have moved on from something. Cause like, think of if we invaded Iraq in 2003 and in 2038, somebody made movies, a movie and kind of like portraying the U S military as the bad guy in that situation. I don't feel like it would be met with a lot of criticism. I feel like people would have the, the hindsight to look back on that situation and see that it wasn't just a black and white good guys situation there. Yeah, but I think that the whole Nazi question uh, and who was culpable and who just stood by and let things happen because it was on their their territory and the results were so much more uh, horrific than most other military campaigns. Um and so lopsided, you know, the not that us dropping a couple bombs uh, is that was bad, too. Like, and I don't know a lot of people who would uh, 
Well, I guess we're getting a movie about that kind of glamorizes the guy who made that happen. So, yeah, it's it's a twisty, thorny topic. Uh, and the thing that comes to mind is um, there's a little bit of footage of uh, this comedian in the 70s um, putting on like uh, it looks like a state correspondence dinner type thing. And uh, he leads the, the crowd uh, in like hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip. And the crowd responds, hooray and zigzag, zigzag, oi, oi, oi type things. And yeah. then for the last one, he says, Sig, and the whole crowd goes, Heil. And then everyone is like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, like, that's just how deep those things run, uh, I think, in that country. And, you know, at least here you're allowed to speak out against things. Uh, you know, it might not be great for your health, but you're technically allowed to. I think in a country where you could have been assassinated for having differing political opinions uh it probably it's a little tougher to handle a little tougher to stomach that kind of criticism yeah i i agree like the atrocities of war are different compared to complete genocide yeah. which is what that that party was doing and actively pursuing so i i do uh, agree there um and i think the in psychology class, we talked about the Milgram experiment, mm-hmm. which is that psychological one, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which basically is most of us, when somebody in a uniform tells us to do something, most of us will just do it without question because the authority, authority that we perceive told us to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes and it okay. Like, and we all, and like, we all like to think of ourselves as the individual who would step up against a system that we find um, uh, not disagreeable. I, some, like, I, we, we all like to think that we would be the one to protest against it, but the, that psychological experiment showed that vast majority of people will just go along with it. Even if they have protestations and even if they have conflicts about what they've been told to do, the, like the power of authority is oftentimes stronger than our own self-will. But it's a good movie. Made for a good movie. Yeah, I'm really glad we watched this one. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. I think... I think it's like the lack of characters outside of Jurgen Prochnow maybe hurts it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the length of it is great, but also hurts it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like the length is necessary, but it does make watching this a tedious task, I would say. This is a long fucking movie, man. <laughs> um. But to wrap this one up, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I'd give this a four out of five. Oh, I forgot we did that. Look, it's been yeah, so this, long. This, this, this isn't your cowboy show where you can just willy-nilly talk about movies without assigning a numerical value to them. Uh, and I have watched so few films recently. That's uh, wild to for me. Um, I've made... I've made an active effort this year to watch less movies. It's going well. 
Yeah, I've watched slightly more television and listened to a lot more audiobooks and done other stuff. So, and actually read more too. Uh, but I also clear back on April first. <laughs> gave this one four out of five stars. Awesome. Um, so up next, we are going to be talking Duncan Jones's Moon after the break. Woo! What are you grooving to? Are you grooving to something? Are you grooving currently? I'm grooving to... So, I've been trying to figure out a theme song for Virginia's podcast. Nice. Um, so if you just skip like 10 seconds into that one, I kind of just want to use that, that, that song. This is like a game, one of the most important games of my childhood. Dusty Diamond's All Star Softball. Dusty Diamond. Oh, I love it. It it's such a good game. Such a good game. Um, is it such a good game that you would still play it? Yeah, I, I have recently. <laughs> well, last time was probably like a year ago, but no, I still, I still play NES games. I play, I play Contra mm. fairly frequently because I'm still chasing that no death run in Contra. Oh, dude, how? I've gotten close. I've gotten. I think I the furthest I've gotten was stage seven. There's eight stages total. Okay. And I, I, I know death to the seventh level. And it's always just a dumb fucking mistake. And those last three levels are the ones that I've played the least mm-hmm. due to the nature of things. And so I have least practice on them. And it's very frustrating. But one day, one day I'm going to no death run Contra. I believe in you. You know, if I had three years of living on the moon, all I could do is just like sit there and play Contra all day and, until I know death that. What a uh, highfalutin goal for you to have. You know, I, I wish I had accomplished more during quarantine. When I look back at like what I, what my results of quarantine were, I, I it's like I. Should have written a movie or something, you know? Oh, man. Uh, I see people who, like, took up woodworking or miniatures painting or gardening, and I see all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I had all this time, and what did I do? I just got real depressed. That's that's what I did. <laughs> I mean, I, I grabbed a few hobbies during quarantine that I still carry forward, but it's like... There's nothing, like, physical, or it's like, you know, I I didn't, like, make a record, or produce something. (laughs) I I just, I just sat around, like, started drinking beer at one (laughs) o'clock. Oh, so, welcome back to the show. I don't know what's kept in there, I don't know, we'll see. But we're gonna be talking about Moon 
Um, this is a movie that is from the past 15 years, uh, directed by Duncan Jones, who is David Bowie's son. Do I have that right? That is correct. And this one stars, you know what's funny? I always want to call Sam Rockwell, Sam Bell. And that's because his name in this movie is Sam Bell. And so I always get, so this is starring Sam Bell. Fuck <laughs> me, And Kevin, gross ass Kevin Spacey. Um, and scored by Clint Mansell, which is important. My and guy, Clint Mansell. Yeah, this the music from this movie is um I've heard it in a lot of other trailers, I think, mm-hmm. or like I I've heard this that little piano riff dun, ba, da, dun, 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 that little piano jingle. I've heard that in a lot of places, I think. Um I mean, Clint did the soundtrack for all of Aronofsky's movies? Most of Aronofsky's movies? I know on this show he's done Pi and The Fountain. Yeah, I know The Fountain because, like I said, that's my on my running playlist. Uh, it didn't come up today, though, in the shuffle. I had uh, more heavy metal for some reason. I don't know why. It's you on know, shuffle. I've been... I've been uh, I, I was thinking about The Fountain lately, and that movie really stuck with me longer than I don't know. There, there's there's certain aspects of that movie that I still flash back to and think back on, and that the emotional decisions and Rachel Vice and I don't know, it, it was really good. Uh, what did, what did I give that? I hope I gave it a good score. What did you give it? Uh. Four, yeah, that that that's that's reasonable. That's fair, reasonable. That's a good yeah. score. Um, but Moon, you, I believe you countered Moon mm-hmm. to my DOS boot, right? So why don't you introduce it and what's your history with it? Um, I think because we were uh, talking about bottle movies and things where people are trapped, um, and this is one of those in the extreme in that. You have essentially like two and a two. I'm going to say one full character and two half characters in this movie. And that's it. Like you get people on screens, but. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the Gertie is a half character. Yes. And his wife is a half character. Yes. That's okay. That's all you get. And you get double the. Maybe you get uh, Sam squared. Is that would that count? Yeah, and so I think this kind of might be on the rewatch. My problem with this movie is that these guys seem so nonplussed about this whole like clone <laughs> situation and like not freaked out by it, and they just they just kind of vibe and are. A little bit tough to distinguish from each other and i i don't know i feel like there was the moment like there's there's like a way there's there's horror in this story that's not in the movie i one of my scariest things that i used to think of like when i worked on treasure island out in in the bay and between san francisco and oakland 
it's dark as fuck out there and desolate sometimes. And like I'd be in some weird place next to like an old abandoned school and I'd be moving barricades or whatever at 3 a.m. And uh, the guys in my work truck, they'd be like, all right, we got to run back to the warehouse. So just keep working out here. We'll come back and get you. And so it's 3 a.m. I'm out there by myself in this creepy ass environment. And I started to wonder what would they like the scariest thing that could happen right now to me. And I decided the scariest thing that could happen to me right then is if I saw myself walking towards me from the shadows. That would have broken my brain and freaked me the fuck out. And in this movie, they're just like, huh, that's interesting. It's me. Okay, well, what are we going to have for breakfast today? Um, it's kind of like the, uh, do you know the extremely short story, uh, Knock? Uh, no, but if it's extremely short, I feel like you could tell me it. The last... Oh, wait, yes. Yes, yes I do. My friend in high school used to do, tell me this. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, the last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. Like That's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't... I, this should not have been a horror movie, but I just feel like there's, like, a missing ten minutes of this guy reacting to finding out about this shit and like not freaking out. And also like it, it it has like a little bit of a setup where you might think that Gertie is evil and against him in a similar way of Hal in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's some tension that could have been played with there more as well. Uh. So that's all. I, I just feel like this movie it's it's good, and I still liked it, but it felt a little too bare bones for me on a rewatch. Where because I already knew what was going on and everything, I was I there wasn't like a lot for me to grab onto. Oh, uh, I found a lot this time. Like, and I still think that um, the filmmaking and uh, Sam Sam Rockwell's performance is f phenomenal. His performances are fantastic. Uh, I love Sam Rockwell pretty much across the board. He's one of my most consistently liked actors. And it goes all the way back to Galaxy Quest, where he steals that entire movie with his performance. Um, oh, and of course... You've seen Galaxy Quest, right? Yes, I've seen Galaxy Quest. Uh, that was in regular rotation when I worked at a comic book store. Like, that's not a bad one to have. No, in regular rotation. Grignac, Grignac, <laughs> rock, rock. Miners, not miners. Uh, I still that miners joke is still a go-to of mine. It's anytime a good anyone mentions coal miners, I say what babies, and anytime someone mentions babies, I say what, what coal, coal miners. miners? <laughs> uh <laughs> it's the simple it's the simple really dumb things in life that <laughs> i put the biggest smile on my face oh i got called out like <laughs> last week when i was uh on my work trip um we were taking turns like we went to torchy's tacos like four times during this work trip right uh we were gone for like two weeks and why why do you say that to me like it's a thing i understand 
Oh, I didn't know if it was if they had expanded up to your area or you had been somewhere where there was a Torchies as of yet. That's a th- oh no, I've never heard of that. Where did you go? Uh, so I was in I was in Fayetteville, uh, where our our friend lives, and didn't get to see him because the days I had free time, he was off enjoying the holiday weekend, like with his family and stuff. How rude! Uh, you should have gone to the lake house. Also, huh. is there is there a reason you didn't say Tay? No, uh, I you, I was, you just left it. You just left it as an enig- enigmatic our friend and just <laughs> left it sitting there. I I just felt awkward about that. Sorry, sorry, it was Tay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so we went to Torchies and everybody was taking turns like um, putting dinners on their company card, and somebody didn't take their turn. And I said, oh, you didn't want to chip in, um, referring to the the chips that we would always purchase. And uh, I got the glare that I got from this woman, uh, who has otherwise been delightfully uh, nice to me. Um, like, the dad joke was crossing the rubric for her. Everything else that I do, totally fine. Dad jokes, uh, you know, off limits. My friend Paul is in his 60s. And he comes out to the bar and hangs out with us on Fridays and when uh, the whole little community does a little happy hour. And he's just a man of puns, but he's not quick-witted with them. I Uh love Paul, by the way. So I'm just, everything I say, I say with love here. He's not quick on his feet with them. He needs material that he comes in with prepared before. Okay. But he can't remember anything. So he's often reading material. Oh, or my. he just flubs it so hard. And so I have to listen to him. He'll drop the same pun on people four times throughout the night as new people filter in. And uh-huh. I have to hear each iteration of it. And it usually takes three or four people. His, his best, I'll say, is uh, I was at the park. And I was pointing at the squirrels and I was saying, that one's little and that one's big and that one's medium. And the ranger said, hey, stop criticizing those squirrels. <laughs> that, that's, by, that's like his, that, okay. and just know that I delivered that far more efficiently than you could ever imagine him delivering it. Oh. Uh, and he wears these little hats that make him look like he lives in Miami. Oh, Paul. <laughs> uh, if you get the chance uh, and they have the inclination, tell Paul that I'm I'm taking his material. Okay, that's, here's that what is, I'm gonna that's do. That's a quality. Here's bit. what here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna see him today. Oh, yeah. I'm going to sneaky voice record at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do some spy shit. Uh-huh. And and if if I'm successful. I'll uh I'll cut it in here, or something. Uh, that'd be amazing. That's fun. Uh, now I have a mission. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to brag, but I made six figures last year. Really? Yeah. I was voted the worst employer at the toy factory. <laughs> the worst what? Employee, employee at, the at the toy factory. If only you said employee and not, not employer. employer. <laughs> you were so what close. <laughs> say it again. No, no, no. Say it again. Working in the trainer for so long, I would have been great with a head of the back pocket. I made a grand last year. 
No, 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 no. Yeah. You <laughs> 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 doesn't work like that. <laughs> try again, try again, start again, start again. You guys tell I forgot her race. Six figures. <laughs> oh, you told me this yesterday. <laughs> oh, no, Paul. <laughs> You're rehashing used material on us and you don't get her. Um. Two things. One, uh, okay. Towards the beginning of uh, lockdown, um, there was the uh, Bob Fosse biopic or bio series that they did. Biopic. But. Biographical picture. How's that? Yeah. There you go. Um, I'll accept that. Thank you. Uh, where um, Sam Rockwell p- portrayed Bob Fosse, uh, of of which I am a fan, uh, and Michelle Williams was um, nope, not Gwen Stacy. Gwen Verdon. <laughs> That's an entirely different thing. Uh, but played one of his partners, uh, and it's really good. And Sam Rockwell like absolutely kills it. I was just telling. I think I was just telling Connie when Connie visited me. I was like, you know, lately I've been feeling kind of compelled to rewatch all that jazz. Mm-hmm. At that, especially now knowing more context about Bob Fosse and and understanding where he's coming from with that movie a little bit more as like an, a self reflection. Um, it was really good. I think I would like it more on the second watch. Mm-hmm. Especially that ending. That movie ends so strong. Oh, yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell is uh, Seven Psychopaths, a show that we have often talked about watching. And um, so um, that's a that's a Martin that's a, Martin McDonough. That's a yeah. Right? Okay. Martin McDonough. Yeah. Uh. And so did he do, was that the same McDonough that did three billboards as well? Three billboards in Bruges and Banshees of Sharon. No, nope. That's his brother. In Bruges and Banshees is the other McDonough. <sighs> Hold on. I swear, I swear this is how it works. Hold on. Uh, no, I'm right. Martin McDonough did Banshees, Three Billboards, In Bruges, and Seven Psychopaths. Really? What did John yeah. Michael do? The Guard. You've, we've talked about this before. And oh, I, and I Calvary. Swear, yeah, I swear you used to get this right. And so some, something degraded in your brain, and you now got this wrong. But, man, you really made me question myself there. And I was confident about that, too. Because Martin McDonough's like, I've said Martin McDonough is four out of four, one of my favorite directors. Uh-huh. And you right there, just with that little jab of insecurity, made me question myself. <laughs> uh, the, the interesting thing that I didn't know until we started trying to look this up is that he is partnered with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. 
which would make them probably uh, a delight to be around, given both of their, their writing credentials. They would be great conversationalists, and I would feel entirely inadequate in their presence. I'd uh, do fine. I don't even know who she is. So, oh, I heard, I've heard her name, and I think she's a musician. She is not. She uh, wrote the the series Fleabag, which started as a one woman show, I believe, uh, and is fantastic. It's a great little series. I I feel like with that three name name, she should be a band. Hmm. Has anyone told her she should be a band? Um. I don't know. I will ask. I will check in with her uh, and see what they say, what she says. I'm pretty sure there's a Phoebe or a someone Waller. Are you, there, there's... Are you thinking of Phoebe Bridgers? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. You, you, bridged, you bridgered that gap yeah. in my brain. <laughs> it's, which uh, I know because Phoebe Bridgers... Did songs with Taylor Swift and with Connor Oberst um, and with um, Christian Lee Hudson, which is who I went and saw the other night. So there's like this collective of little musicians that my daughter loves. uh, And I hear about them way more than I actually hear their work. Have you hung out with many Irish people? No. I, I don't think you would be. I think you would get along great. In that conversation, the the Irish accent is just like lubrication for conversation. It just it it puts us everyone at ease. There's a little bit of like a hint of excitement in the air. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the Irish accent, but no, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, I wonder. Have you heard the Martin McDonough speak? Uh oh, he's British. Yeah, because I remember that was one of the things with... Oh, he's, Brit- he's British-Irish. No, I have no idea. Yeah, one he's... of the things with Inishir and like one of the criticisms was, does he really understand Irish culture? He was born a Brit. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I'm not one to answer that question. And I don't know if anybody said Phoebe Waller-Bridge should be a band. Why are we talking about <laughs> Martin McDonough so much? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so that, there is one moment in this where I, I talk about like setting up Gertie as a potential villain. He uh, he bumps Sam's elbow and Am yells, "God damn it! Why don't you listen to me?" Setting up that idea right there, like Gertie has his own self will. Uh, I like the Wayne's World vacuum haircut homage. Mm-hmm. And um, so. And also, I think it could have gone a little a little more. I don't understand at how they're pulling the helium in from the surface. I would have liked a little more knowledge of like the process of like how this facility operates. Yeah, it's like there's giant rototillers on the moon, which are apparently very easy to run into on your little uh, lunar rover craft. And they somehow get uh, helium out of them. I don't. I don't know how that works. And it's super helium, he three, and seventy percent of Earth power comes from it. And so you know, just so every three years they do another transfer of 
helium back to Earth, and then that gives us three years of power, I guess. I would hope that it would give us more than three years, and they're being somewhat uh, responsible with the, the energy, but... I question this company's responsibility. Uh, on a on a personal micro level, they are certainly uh, nefarious. I, th- I would say, <laughs> maybe a little. They seem to not care for their employee very much. Yeah. So, Sam Bell, I was a little. I still don't quite understand. Like you said, it's easy to crash into. So Sam Bell is a helium farmer who gets woken up, and then. Uh, how does he come upon upon the crash and how does the crash how did the first sam crash that i don't recall um maybe he loses control or something but it it literally seems like he's just driving his little uh lunar lander type thing around and crunches into this stopped uh machine it's like machine number 3 or whatever that he uh is going out to check on he says he's going to do a check on it, and uh, that's he just runs into it and finds inside his own damn self. That's and without seemingly without trepidation or hesitation, just takes himself back to the infirmary and is just you know kind of okay with that right off the bat, like you said. It's confusing, is all. It, I did... I thought it was interesting that this movie um, shifts character POVs, where we spend time with the... You know, we, we kind of bounce back and forth of whose perspective we're in. Mm-hmm. Like, when the new Sam... When this Sam wakes up now, um, the injured Sam... We're now an injured Sam point of view as he's waking up again. And it, it kind of jumps back and forth. Uh, and it's, I had forgotten how early, uh, not only does the, um, as I say, the clone stuff happen, but how quickly it's resolved. Like, this happens like 12 minutes into the movie or something, where I thought that we had much longer setup of Sam and like a deteriorating mental state. But no, it's straight into oh my gosh, I found myself and I'm kind of okay with it. Like, and the only reason that they fight is it's not because he is fighting with himself, which would seem like the obvious route to take, right? Like he's irritated at the things that he doesn't like about himself. That seems like what you would do. Yeah. Well, this is like, if American Pickle were set on the moon. Um, I, I never watched very, very much of that. I fell asleep. It's as- not good. I fell it, asleep it, to it, honestly. I'm not, I don't really like Seth Rogen because people who make weed culture their entire life, it, it, I just find to be very boring. Mm-hmm. And um, that movie... I was actually really enjoying the movie when it was just like old man grandpa teaches mm-hmm. young inept grandson how to do stuff. 
And then the movie then like adds this whole big conflict and this like big fight between the two. And it's like, man, I it was one of those movies where I I would have kind of liked to have just watched a movie without like a true conflict set up, like just watch character growth without the need to to have a problem be solved in the movie. I don't know if that's possible, but that's <laughs> sometimes that 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 created problem annoys me. I would say that uh, Ted Lasso did a very good job of setting up a problem and then disarming it in the in it in the last season. Um, and last season had its ups and downs. Yes, uh, I, I overall I liked it, but. Some things felt resolved far too easily for me. Okay. Uh, did you watch Shrinking? Um, no, it's on my short list of things to watch. I was waiting for it to to finish its season. Yeah, it's it's another Bill Lawrence joint, uh, and so it's got you know this the Scrubsian vibes, uh, but it is. That one, I would be interested in your take because mostly it is uh, the character growth stuff without any real exterior conflict happening. Mostly. And the incidences of a larger, like an antagonistic moment happening really stand out to me. So, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you think. That show mostly comes on at night. Mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> um, when they say, when they're like looking at the, the stuff about Eve, their daughter, and she says, Eve is my, our little monkey. Mm-hmm. I bet that got you in your big dumb heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, I th- all that stuff plays even better now for me than it did in uh, 2009 when I first saw it. 2009 is when the movie came out, by the way. <laughs> okay, we've been wrong with every guess we made so far. I said yeah. 2013 when I introduced it. Yeah, and I said 10 or 11, so... Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so you had... 2009, you had... One child at that time. I had two kids. Oh. Was Olivia born then? Okay. Nope. I I have three no, children. No. Not Kira. No, I mean, uh, was Kira alive? She, oh, yeah, she would have been. Just yeah. barely. Kira, she would have been really young, huh? She was would have been four. She's 17 this year. About to be 18 in the fall. How do numbers work? Dude, I have no idea. It is all... I am 44 this year, and I'm pretty sure I've been walking around saying I'm going to be 43. Uh, But also, between 38 and 40, I just said I was 40. So, I think there's a a median in there, or a mean, that I want to stay in. Between 40 and 42, that's like the prime area. And younger or older, I just want to lie and say I'm still in that uh, early middle age section. 44 is cool, though. You get a palindrome year. Okay, okay. I'll take that. 
Because if you flip the four, mm-hmm. with the other four, right? It spells H H on a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't see that. I didn't see it going that direction. But all right. <laughs> oh no. Um, if if you were to fight a clone of yourself, which one would win? Oh, that's tough because the clone in this movie uh, only has memories up to a certain point and only has physical manifestations up to a certain point because it was created like years before. So if I was in the same situation, I might have spent my time bulking up after that clone was created and therefore I would win. But if he was fresher and felt as the same as I did when I was younger, he might win. He, he, it's 44-year-old Josh fighting 40 to 42-year-old Josh. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Old Josh versus prime Josh. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. with age comes old man strength, dad strength. Mm-hmm. Just that... that Will that with each year you get older, the harder you're going to cling to that thing that called life and you'll do anything in, within your power and you'll fight dirty if you have to, to, to win. Eh? I don't know. Good question. I would fight dirty. Oh yeah. Groin stuff, biting. Groin <laughs> <There's> stuff. A- <laughs> Kick myself in the balls. <laughs> There's a, one of the gnarliest things that ever happened on The Walking Dead was uh, Rick and gang were all captured and tied up. And this guy was talking shit and threatening them. And just as things were about to get really bad, Rick just chomps into this guy's neck and just like fucking tears his jugular out of his throat. And it was so fucking gnarly. And so it's like, I could, I could see myself doing that to myself. That's, uh, that's an image right there. That is a mental picture that I think I cannot escape from. (laughs) And what, but what if my clone would also do that same thing? And it's like the Ouroboros... Uh, the snake eating itself mm-hmm. as the two of us consume each other's necks. It would be more like the uh, the sigil at the on the book of the never-ending story, which I think is two snakes eating each other. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Ye- on when Sam is is stuck on this thing for three years. First of all, he whittles. Which made me, I was like, oh, that's what Sean would do. Uh, And then he, what is it? He recreates his town. Like he does a model of his own town uh, on Earth. Which also seems like a thing you would do. Did it look like it was wood? Or did it look like it was some kind of like arts and crafts foam that... Yeah. It looked like it was paper craft. Either way, it was cool though. Yeah. But I know I... You gotta do something, man. Especially here, when you can't go outside at all in this. I don't know. 
I I do like that the space is treated with such a casual indifference in this movie. Mm-hmm. When he's driving the thing, he's just cruising around with his feet up, you know, throwing the helmet on and going out into the lack of atmosphere. It's no big deal to walk around on the surface of the moon. Like everything feels very normalized at this point to where uh it's boring. <laughs> it's like and it it's hard to imagine getting to that place when you're on the moon, but here we have it. What do you think just overall of the exterior production and do you have any insight on how they did it? It it looked like they did a lot of miniature work mm-hmm. or combining miniature work with CGI. I'm not sure. I mean, there's some stuff that is definitely CG, like the, um, uh, I don't know what they are. The, the things that actually maybe extract the rocks, uh, and the big tillers both look very CG until you get up close to the one that he crashes into. Um, because the, like the, the debris coming off of them, like it has that uncanny look where it doesn't quite have the right weight, although it's on the moon. So you can kind of forgive that a little bit. Um, yeah, it looks com- yeah. it looks comped together from, and I think that they did try to do uh, miniature stuff and solid green screen type things with the uh, the two of them like fighting and everything. Um, so that'll probably carry over to the the exterior stuff as well, trying to make it as physical as possible. The interior production was very cool and very reminiscent of Alien. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that was like a huge inspiration for the the interior set design. Um, the and then what? And then what's your? Do you have any knowledge of how? Just how do you how do you shoot a movie with the same actor? Because Carl Pilkington did a show called Sick of It, where it's him and like the voice in his head who's kind of always following him around. Okay. And so I, they don't interact as much or like, you know, a lot of times you can just do have actors in different parts of the frame. So then you split the frame left side and right side to have two of them. And, but in this movie, there's a lot of like intricate stuff and interactions between the two Sam's. Yeah. Do you, do you know how they did that? No, that stuff boggles my mind. Like there is, they don't quite grab the same object, but like, uh, the one Sam has like a mini disc player and he turns it on and kind of tosses it on the table and the other Sam picks it up and throws it. And there's some cuts in there, but it still feels very fluid. And like, it's two guys operating in the same space when that happens. Uh, I think the fact that is more shocking is the idea that this is Duncan Jones's first movie. It's his first feature film that he made. And to have like, Oh, I'm going to take on this level of, uh, technical complexity, which a lot of it can be helped by having like a good effects team and, uh, um, second unit to help you with that stuff. But still that's, that's shocking to me. Well, when your dad is Major Tom, you know, anything can happen. Uh, also, the Thin White Duke. Um, who? <laughs> that, was another one of his, never... that was another one of his, his personas. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, I Ziggy is the other one. I, yeah. I, have you seen? I have not seen the other Duncan Jones movies. Are Source Code, Warcraft, and Mute. Uh, Warcraft looked terrible from the trailers, and I think Mute Mute was that Paul Rudd Paul Rudd movie that I think people said sucked. Um, I have no concept of Mute, uh, but Source Code is is great. I really like source code. Uh, okay. But also the cast on that one is stacked. Like Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Michelle Moynihan, Vera Farmiga, and Jeffrey Wright are your top four build. So that's, that is a strong cast, but it's very twisty and similar to moon being like high concept or whatever. Right on. Yeah. I'd, I'd watch it. Check it out. Um, oh, I like the the montage with Walking on Sunshine. That's one of the best songs ever, ever recorded, <laughs> in my opinion. Walking on Sunshine and um, Higher and Higher. Your love, take oh. me higher. For- Those two songs are like instantaneous vitamin d dopamine serotonin like everything those songs both just make me so happy uh that's your love keeps taking me higher from the climax of ghostbusters 2 is that the song to which you are referring um yeah except i think i i think i know of it from death to smoochie is it in that movie i think it might be the last song okay they're doing like the big roller ice skating yeah rollerblading finale feel like it might be there i'm not sure though okay Um, yeah god damn i just love those happy songs uh in i love um sam bell's outfits in this movie like all of his t-shirts uh there's one that says uh what is it wake me up when it's quitting time which is just a great little commentary. Uh, but do you remember the scene with uh, where he's yelling at himself and he's wearing the sleeping bag with arms? Yes. Yes. Do you have one of those? A sleeping bag with arms? Yeah. No, I. but it, it kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. I... I have like a mummy style sleeping bag mm-hmm. that is good at keeping me warm, but I I hate sleeping in it kind of because it's so restrictive. Mm-hmm. That's I don't think I could do that style. Um, I've, I I, I like tried to cock once. my knee at like a ninety degree and kind of sleep on my side with one knee like pulled up, and it's not it's not wide enough for me to even like bend my knees like that. It's a, a tiny little bag. Yeah. Uh, I tried. And then I've also had it where I zip it all the way up. And so like, you have like the hood part. And so it's just like your face or whatever coming out. And then like I've struggled with the zipper. Yes. To then, and then it's like, uh oh, now, now like some like feelings of like being trapped are popping up and stuff and feeling claustrophobic in this tiny little bag. And yeah, that's the closest I will personally get to the descent is uh, (laughs) 
being in a slightly too snug sleeping bag that I can't handle. <laughs> That's very um, brave of you. Um, I have a note that just says banana with a yeast infection, and I don't know what that means. Banana with a yeast infection? <laughs> it, must have, it must have been said during this movie at some point. Uh, is this a holdover from uh, men having... Crabs and the other Crabs, movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe one of my notes got transposed. Um I would love to I think it would be incredible to look at the stars outside of our atmosphere. Mm, to mm-hmm. to be able to see the star field for what it like truly is and the amount of stars without light pollution. I like that would be incredible. Oh, one thing I didn't really think about. He's on the light side of the moon, isn't he? So it never, he never has nighttime. It never gets dark there because he's on the bright side of the moon. Oh. So he's just living for three years in permanent daylight. I didn't even think about that. But he's, it's, he doesn't have like a bunch of windows. It's not like he's. No, but still like, I don't know. Still the idea. Yeah. Isn't that, uh, that still kind of blows my mind. I don't know what the odds are, how it works, that the the moon got locked into an orbit like that, that is, like, tidally locked. It's something to do with our uh, oceans, or I I don't remember, but the fact that the moon rotates at at the same frequency that it orbits, and so that we're always looking at the same side of it, is pretty mind-blowing. Uh, is that true, though? Yes. Is that, is that true? The moon doesn't rotate. It does, but we, it, the moon, the same side of the moon always faces us with a very, like a very small variance, like a little bit of tilt. But no, we know, we never see the back of the moon. Um, uh, this, this article is too long to read right now. Uh, but there, there is a. A Mythbusters about it, apparently. Five moon myths and how to disprove them yourself. Um, the Mythbusters did a whole episode proving the moon, the lunar landing, or trying to at least. I, I do remember that one, yeah. They oh. shot, there's some mirror set up on the surface of the moon, and you can shoot a laser at it and then get a return signal. Yes. Something like that they did. Uh, that... Did you watch that documentary about the flat earthers? No. <laughs> That's another like uh fascinating thing where the guy disproves flat earth theory himself and then he tries to say that his experiment was wrong. But it's with it's with laser levels like on the on the largest plane that he could find and like there's definitely an arc cuz you're trying to hit this oh, I- target at the same height. I think I've seen a clip of it yeah. where the moment that <laughs> the curvature of the earth is proven through this man's experiment. Yes. I believe I've seen that clip. Yeah. <laughs> um so do these clones do these clones have a 3-year lifespan as far as getting sick or was Sam 
what's going on with Sam that like it seems like he's like dying of cancer. I feel like Sam Prime is like falling apart at the DNA level. Yeah. Um which he's, you know, he's only Sam Prime to us watching the movie because uh I don't know why maybe where is the original Sam? Because the original Sam wouldn't have a lifespan of only three years. Original Sam, we hear original Sam is on Earth. Because when they call his daughter uh, and talk to his daughter live when she's 15, mm. we hear Sam's voice in the background in the room there. Copy that. So original human one is there. But it just makes me like... Well, okay, so it could be... They start to get sick, and it's the fact that that Sam has lived longer than three years. Has that Sam been out there longer than the intended three years because he crashed and got... I don't know. It's confusing. Because we later see they're supposed to ideally climb into this, like, flash incinerator. And... You're getting sent home, Sam. Get get sent, like, with, like, a very weird culty video message send-off. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I guess I have more questions about some timeline stuff with this movie than I had originally thought. So this is... If everything went to plan and there was no other goof-ups, uh, this is Sam's 5 and 6 or 4 and 5 at most. Because... Yeah, based on the daughter's age. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so... Or maybe they have a shorter lifespan. How long had the Sam been alive that crashes into the Harvester? Yeah. And then... So then at that point, Gertie must wake up another clone to go get that clone. I don't know. It's confusing. It's it's almost like a time travel uh, scenario, but not quite. But in the the layers, this is not this is not quite fucking my brain on a time crimes level. Yes, no. <laughs> I still. Someone asked me why do I think the scenario in time crimes creates an infinite time loop for the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and I still <laughs> the other week I was still thinking about. How can I, how can I verbalize and explain why I think that happens? And I basically just can't. It's like impossible for me to describe time crimes, man. Was Sarah Snook? She was in. Yeah, she was in the Predestination. I've never seen her in any other movie. No, uh, and I just watched the finale of the Secession last night. Oh, I was going to ask, what do you think? Um, yeah, that's about right. That's about what I pictured uh, happening at, after a certain point. Did you like the show? Uh, it was very hard for me to relate to. Like, there's no emotional depth that I can, like, connect to these characters, really. The only times I was like... 
I feel like really in on it was when it was character moments like Tom and Shiv and some of their big confrontations and those felt really powerful. But my God, anytime the show starts talking business mm -hmm. and mergers and acquisitions and stuff, it's all I my brain just turns off and it's so boring. <laughs> and I don't care. And it's it was fine. It was fine. But I listened to like the Dan Levitard show, this sports guy, and he was talking about how Succession may be the greatest show of all time. And I was like, mm. Barry was better than Succession, oh. and that was just on. And Better Call Saul was a masterpiece. Yeah. That blows Succession out of the water. Absolutely. That's Those are the two that I went to as well. I was like, if you wait literally five minutes, you'll see a better show. <laughs> right. That ended at the same time. Like <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I like Barry a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. Really good. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was so good. Um, uh, that, that show rocked. You have seen Sarah Snook in something else, uh, because she's in an American pickle. Really? Apparently. Hmm. Uh, also, she's in a black mirror. Did you watch all the black mirrors? Yes, but I think there's a new season now, which I haven't watched. I think I watched all the Black Mirrors. Yeah, there's remember, a, a new season remember, about to come out. Remember, remember the Black Mirror episode where the, the two guys play video games together? And they just end up fucking the shit out of each other playing Street Fighter. <laughs> So <laughs> Sam finds out he gets past the block. He he breaks down whatever communications blockage thing that's happening and does a live call and talks to his daughter who's 15 and the wife has been dead for years. And that's when he hears himself and hangs up. And uh Oh, I oh I can I can do this. Hold on. So this reminds me, there's a Carl Pilkington moment that being sad on the moon makes me think of, and it's right here. <laughs> You've, like, not listened to much Carl Pilkington in your life. This is exciting. And I was reading something that in, uh, in 1971, right? Can you hear Three it? Three of them went up there. Can't remember the names. Um, wasn't the main one. It wasn't, like, the Buzz, the Buzz and the, the Armstrong one and that. Another three blokes went up. And um, there was one bloke in the rocket, right? The other two wandered off, had a, had a walk about, seeing what rocks they can find in that. And that bloke who was in the rocket, right, he was the loneliest man ever in the world. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know if that's some sort of profound poetry, or I don't. I, I do, not, do you know what I think he's trying to say? I, I think he's trying to say that uh, he was. What are you trying to say? No, stop, stop, stop for a minute, because I just want to just recapture that moment. <laughs> just say that again. That sentence again. Right. The other two had gone off 
picking up rocks, yeah. right? He sat on his own in the rocket, and he was the loneliest man in the world. <laughs> okay, I know what he's <laughs> trying to say. I do, right. I don't know what he means. Well, right, he's trying to say he was, by definition, uh, a human furthest away from all other human contact. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I said. Yeah, okay. No, you know, you said loneliest. Loneliest <laughs> evokes an emotion. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's like he started crying and writing poetry <laughs> and listening to uh, Morrissey records. <laughs> you, you mean he was the most remote man? Well, yeah, he was saying how, like, he's on the rocket on his own, right? Yeah. And I think I worked out because it was in kilometres, right? And I think it turned out <laughs> that they, right, the other two spacemen picking mm. rocks and that, they were two and a half thousand miles away from him, <laughs> right? So they were they were miles away. Anyway, they, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. And they, and they, and they oh. had, but they had each other. They had each that's other. Yeah. You had the world <laughs> right across the other way, everyone getting on with their lives. Yeah. Was, the loneliest man was, ever. It's, it's the delay between the loneliest man <laughs> ever in the world. But what I was thinking is, right? Also, uh, uh, not in the world. Like, technically speaking... Do they bring that fact up that if he's in space, he's technically not in the world? Right. Yeah. Oh my. Um, so back on the moon, uh, Sam tells Gertie that they need to wake up another clone, a third clone, in order to enact his plan to escape from the moon base. This is where it gets real convoluted, uh, and there's another film that I don't want to spoil uh, that deals with clones, and you're never quite sure which one you should, if you should be rooting for any of them. I, is there? Yes, there is. Is there magic? Yes, there is. Gotcha. 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 That's a good one. Yeah. I I like that one. I would like to go back and rewatch that one. Uh, uh because that director has been hit or miss for me recently and Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And his upcoming movie looks Yeah. So there's three Sams. Uh, when this is one of the my worst observations, but when there's the three Sams, uh, the third one first wakes up, you can see right up his skirt, his his hospital dressing gown. Did I miss a penis? You can almost see a penis. It is Damn. it is penis penis adjacent. I think you see taint. That's how that's how clear of a wow. view you get. A taint is a more glorious sighting than penis. I yeah, I've seen a dozen penises for every taint I've seen. <laughs> uh, I like the idea that you have a uh, a commonplace book where one of the pages is your penis to taint ratio. Virginia and I watched Twenty Eight Days Later recently, mm. and we celebrated that movie for like one of the first shots just being a penis. Mm-hmm. Great. Just, need more of it. Yeah. Like, the next Thor movie. Why can't we just start that movie with, like, showing Thor's penis as he's waking up one random morning? Uh, Come on, Marvel. I mean, that just brings to mind uh, the hammer is his penis. 
from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Damn, there, there's gotta be a Mjolnir joke in there yes, somewhere. Yes, there totally has to be, yeah. I, oh, I can't, I can't force it. Ah, oh, damn. I was, I was trying to, no. Damn. <laughs> That's a real shame. That was fun, though. That was a fun bit. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, were you shocked by the size of the rescue crew that's like coming to get him? the The ship that they fly in looks like a creation from Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> it, it's it's absurd looking. Like there, there's no way that the shape of this ship. It looks like a giant spider uh-huh. is like landing on the surface of the moon. And it, it's ridiculous. It's like a Star Wars fortress flying around. Um, it does. The whole concept reminded me of a. Um, oh, I, I'm blanking on the name now. There's a Twilight Zone uh, with a prisoner on a, a distant planet, and they visit him once every few months to drop off supplies. Um, and you get the same vibes of like. It's the only people that this guy is going to see. Except for in that one, they drop off uh, a lady robot. Which maybe could have helped uh, Sam's whole situation, I think. You give me three years alone with a lady robot, we're going to be having some cyborg babies. (laughs) That's the whole purpose of Ladybots. What's the twist of that Twilight Zone episode? That he's actually on Earth the whole time and they're the aliens? No. It is that he uh, falls in love with the lady robot and wants to take her when he finally gets pardoned on the ship, but they don't have enough room uh, on the ship to take her. And he stays behind with her, and then she immediately falls down a hill and breaks. No. <laughs> yep. Oh no. That's terrible. It's so sad. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what's fun about Twilight Zone episodes is I think having somebody tell you the show in one minute like yeah. that is way more fun than actually watching the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, I love Twilight Zone. Like, it is one of my favorite things. I watch it all the time. Like, it's my background, one of my background shows. Um, but quite possibly even more than that, I love the radio dramas, the Twilight Zone radio dramas that they put out with Stacey Keach as the narrator. Uh, Ooh, he has good voice. He has great voice. It is so good to, like... Uh, and they had a bunch of stars. This this was maybe like the early 2000s, late 90s that these came out. So there's a bunch of like uh, star-studded casts of the time. But then you come back from whatever fantasy land you've been living in to Stacey Keach, like giving you the moral of the story. Uh, and I would, I would just cut those out and use them uh, as as a sonic wallpaper if I uh, could. Um. Thinking back on Robot Love, uh, you like her, correct? I've not seen her. Really? I must. I think I've yelled at you about it in the past. Uh, yes, that sounds correct. If, if not, I was about to yell at you now, but I feel like I've already done that. 
Hmm. Is there a way I can make her and seven psychopaths <laughs> fit together for a double feature? I don't know. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up this movie here. Uh, I, I was curious if it seems like they might. I was like, I thought they might be waking up the third Sam clone with nefarious intentions of like immediately killing him or something. I did too. Which would kind of ruin our appreciation of our character. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, and so they work out the escape. I didn't. Even, I didn't really get the escape either. What what rocket ship did he have access to? I don't. Things got a little. Maybe I lost attention or something at the end of this. Uh, but like all of a sudden he's just on a rocket that's taking off, and I. Why couldn't he do that yeah, earlier? I because th- I thought the whole shtick was that he was going to ride back on like the supply rocket. Yeah, and but and then uh, and there's also the part where they're climbing into the compartment on board. Yes, the station. I don't know. I I, I don't quite understand the plan here no uh i don't either but he sends the harvester and programs the harvester to block the communications array which for future sam who they just woke up sam number three that guy will be immediately fully exposed to like the truth of what's going on yes as will in theory all future sams and and then the the movie ends on the weirdest note where we get the first audio bite of like the clone program has been exposed and blah blah blah. And then the last line of the movie is what sounds like conservative radio call-in show and some guys like ah I think it's all bullshit or something. Yeah. And then that it ends on that line. Yeah, it's like somebody uh they they call him a wacko. Uh they say he's like a wacko or an, uh, an immigrant. <laughs> yeah, that was, and I just was like, that's a weird note to, for like the closing lines of movie. That's just a weird one to kind of end on. I yeah. Um, looking over uh, the cast list, the cast list is like one page because you have the guys on the screen uh, who he reports to. Um Apparently, one of them is Matt Berry. The oh, the guy from uh, Vampires. Yes, <laughs> and that one episode of Community. Is he in a Community? He teaches a class about grifting, <laughs> and then it's like a whole episode, which is like an homage to the Sting. Uh, that's beautiful. Did you not watch Community? Um, I watched like the first couple, first two or three seasons. I think you would do well to keep watching Community, but I would skip season four if if you're gonna like jump back into it. Uh-huh. Watch that one later because that's the one that Dan Harmon got fired from the show from. Yes, and it feels that that season. There's a few good episodes, but it has like a super weird vibe to the whole thing. Um, but season five and six are good again. When is the uh, 
Is it the... The movie was ready to be filmed or close to it before the writer strike happened, is the latest report. Um, I might have only gotten through the second season. Uh, hmm. Interesting, interesting. Community's good, especially... There's some winger speeches that are very helpful when when one is having a tough time. Yeah. Good old a good old Jeff Winger speech can really pick you up. Uh I always really liked um uh oh the the interplay between uh, Danny Putty and um Charles Gambino. Uh Donald Glover. Donald Glover, yeah. Uh I think that there's something about the two of them that makes one complete human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up Moon, how did how did this one hold up for you? I feel like especially like as a filmmaker, this one probably means a lot to you just based on like the production of it alone. It does and it is um like the production side of it, I think is very impressive. I don't remember. I know that I watched the behind the scenes stuff back in the day and I just looked and it's actually on the Apple movies version as well. Uh, so I could have delved back into it and had more information for you. Um, so that side of it is, is impressive. Personally, um, it is one of the movies that I bonded with Cameron McCasland over who partnering with him uh, started the career that I'm still on today um, as he's been a producer for a lot of the things that I've shot or edited. Um, so it was weird. We went out for ice cream and talked about uh, this movie and the signal. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. In, in great depth. So God, I could have talked for hours back in the day about the signal. That's another one I would like to rewatch. Yeah. But first I need to do a re-edit and splice the song. <laughs> That's There's right, a, that's right. The love song, Change Up, just like completely fucked that movie for me. So I need to go back in and with some editing trickery. And uh, yeah, it'll be, you know, but that's a better, ver- that's a better use of my editing skills yes, than it just is. cutting women out of movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so what, what would you give this one? I, I give this one, uh, I give it four and a half, both because of, I think... Sam's performance, uh, the personal stuff that it hits me with. And like I said, the family stuff actually hits me harder now than it did then. I don't think that I had the emotional distance. Like I was still in early childhood with my, with my girls at that point. Um, so I think the ache is actually a little stronger now that they are grown and I'm far away just like Sam is right. Like, his daughter's 15. That's the punch of this movie. Like you think that it's the fact that he is missing his daughter's, uh, you know, her toddler years, but it is the fact that he's missed over a decade of her life. Uh, that's like the part that really gets you. So yeah, it, uh, hit me a lot harder this time. Uh, I have not seen interstellar yet, but I feel Nor have like I. there's that's, kind of thing in there interesting yeah um 
I'm gonna sit at three and a half on this one. I like it. Production's really cool. Um, but I uh, like I said basically at the start of this discussion, there's more to this movie that wasn't written and wasn't filmed that I would would have liked to have seen. I would so. love to get the uh, if this was a like mid fifties sci fi story that was published in a like a pulp uh, magazine, like a Harlan Ellison type thing. This would be that version is the version that I would want where there is like the creeping existential horror of facing your own self uh, along with the, the larger mystery and trying to get home aspects. Yeah. Um, But overall for a, for a debut film from a director, like you said, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty hell of a thing to see from a first timer. Um, do you have any inclinations for what you would like to talk about next time? I'm currently trying to calculate how many movies we have done on this show because we are getting close to 100. And I know we would, we had talked about doing something special for that. So I'm currently updating our list to see what number we're at. Okay. Uh, but um, what is considered special in this day and age when we've covered so many things and such a wide variety? No, but I, our hundred movie, I would like to do like a hundred movie retrospective mm. looking back. Okay. Uh, for cop. And then today, Das Boot. And... I have us, I believe this is a correct and current list. I have us at 92 movies. Okay, so we're creeping up there. Yeah. Getting there. Um, yeah, I can check that later, but not quite there yet. So, um, I don't know. I've been talking about watching. Hmm. Could I make her and seven psychopaths work? <laughs> I, I they don't really they don't really go together. Let's 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 save them. Let's do. Um, I would like to do seven psychopaths. Okay. And so that is like. Multiple characters, um, interweaving stories, dark sense of humor, crime, a little bit of violence, um, a little bit of like meta commentary, meta filmmaking kind of stuff. That's that's kind of the vibes of Seven Psychopaths. Okay, the uh, my first inclination for that, and I, I have thought a little bit about this one before. Um, uh, but my first inclination would be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, or Seven, uh, which would all create vastly <laughs> different vibes. Uh, I don't know what Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is. 
Oh, and you, I it is watched... a it's a classic musical. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I watched Seven last night. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you really want to be the show that does back to back spacey movies? <laughs> uh, movies in which he is the villain. Uh, that might that might work. No, uh, that's fine. Uh, but we could if if you want to talk seven. I mean, I I that movie held up wonderfully for me. Well, the thing that I actually want, I think that fits with the vibe uh, a little more, might be the nice guys. Uh, Russell Crowe one. Yes. Okay, I'd be down to rewatch that. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, that those those two those two I'd say go pretty hand in hand together. Yeah, crime crime comedy kind of stuff. Uh huh. I was gonna capers. say capers, but I <laughs> I avoided it. I almost slipped it in there twice. I heard I heard that C. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um. Until then, we we might be back in two weeks. Uh, we might not. I don't know. <laughs> we, if the show is truly dead, we will announce it. So just yes. just know that when the show vanishes, it's because it's carrying you, and that's you're seeing the show's footprints on the beach as it's carrying you, and you're not alone. I I think I got a whole a whole ass new job in the interim here. Uh, I went bald. (laughs) 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 On that note, um, please be kind to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Everyone, please take care. And um, yeah, it's good to be back. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.